This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Today we're going to be taking a look at some of the intricacies of the fire service, uh, specifically for the University of California Davis Fire Department. And we'll take a look into how the wildland urban interface affects not only the university, but communities in general. Before we talk about that, let's hear a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Side Alpha podcast is sponsored by the Homeland 6 Tactical Radio Straps. These custom radio straps feature extractor washable decontamination, superior comfort, and functionality. Learn more at Homeland6.com. That's HomelandSIX.com. Joining us today on Side Alpha Podcast is Fire Chief Nathan Trauernicht from the University of California, Davis Fire Department. Chief Trauernick holds a master's degree in public administration, is a member of the Institution of Fire Engineers, and is a designated Chief Fire Officer, Chief EMS Officer, and Chief Training Officer designated by the Center for Public Safety Excellence. Chief Trauernick currently serves as the President of the Institution of Fire Engineers USA Branch, President of the Oklahoma State University Alumni Association, Chief Fire Officers Chapter, Secretary on the Board of Directors of the IAFC Safety and Health and Survival Section, and is a past president of the California Fire Chiefs Association and two-time past president of the CFCA Operations Chief Section. Chief T, do you have time for anything else? I, I really appreciate you joining us today. What is this whole concept about life? Yeah. I missed that somewhere along the line. Yeah. Yeah, well, apparently uh, you've got the concept down, and uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. It's an honor, and I appreciate it. Chief, I, I know there's a, uh, a complex web of, of fire response agencies in California, and, and frankly, all over the place, but California definitely has a complex web of, of stuff out there. Can you tell us a little bit about the University of California Davis Fire Department, uh, specifically your response area, call volumes, and the like, just kind of to bring people up to uh, speed on, on who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So uh, University of California Davis Fire Department or UC Davis Fire Department has been around for 104 years. We started in 1917 back when the university as we know it now was the uh, farm for Berkeley. Mm. And in those early days, uh, there were a number of significant fires on the campus that called for a fire department to be formed. And that fire department was made up of students, staff and faculty. Yeah. And that morphed over the years into what we now know as the UC Davis Fire Department, an ISO class one department that serves a little over eight square miles. Uh, we respond from a single station with an engine and truck company 24 seven. Uh, we have about 60 personnel um, that respond to around 1100 calls a year. Uh, about 900 of those calls are campus generated calls and the rest are automatic or mutual aid into surrounding communities. Um, of our 60 uh, personnel, 21 are firefighter through captain, 15 student resident firefighters that live here at the fire station uh, for free in exchange for working for us, uh, 15 student EMTs that work events and, and other EMS standbys on campus, and then a handful of command and administrative staff. We also are the uh, the hazardous materials team for the county, obviously being one of the big research schools in the U.S. Uh, we have a very unique risk profile. 
Um, and and that's kind of just a brief overview of who we are and and what we do. And yeah, no, it's uh, it's good stuff. It, uh, a lot of uh, similarities to what I experienced with the uh, University of Maryland and the, the live-in programs there and the, uh, the different things. It sounds like it's a great opportunity for the students that are enrolled um, in the programs out there. And it sounds like you've got a good mutual aid posture with the surrounding jurisdictions. So you're, you are going off campus on a regular basis. It's not just secluded to the campus. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're part of uh, an automatic aid agreement with six agencies in our county. And it is uh, one of those instances where um, sometimes these partnerships are not always smooth, but we're <laughs> very fortunate in our county uh, to have chiefs that are on the same page, uh, longstanding automatic aid agreements, and, and we move in and out of each other's jurisdictions very regularly and, and, and pretty darn smoothly. Good. And I think it, it really is a great benefit uh, to all the communities, in particular for our department, because um, our, our firefighters and our student employees get an opportunity uh, to run what is probably more commonplace calls mm -hmm. for fire agencies uh, than what we always get on campus. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear. It's good. Uh, I, I think a lot of folks don't realize that uh, those automatic aid agreements are not a universally accepted uh, thing. So it's good to see that you guys are um, essentially ahead of the curve and, and doing the right thing. I applaud you on that. So the uh, University of California Davis is uh, one of the top five research institutions in the United States. I'm sure there are some unique features there. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, some of that uniqueness serving as the chief of a research university that's uh, you know essentially affiliated with the fire department? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, we're, we're unique in a variety of different ways when it comes to the institution itself. Um, three of the UCs out of all the UCs in the California system, there's a number of, of campuses throughout the state. We're the last that still has its own dedicated fire department. And a big reason behind that, number one, is we're the largest landmass campus. So that eight plus square miles makes us the largest in terms of land, uh, which makes sense since uh, a big part of our industry is, or our institution is agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, but along with that, we, uh, we have very uh, unique and unusual uh, research going on everywhere from the agricultural side of the house to medicine to engineering um, that really uh, requires um, a 24-7 presence from emergency responders. Part of it also is the fact that we're like a little city within a city. So we're located in Davis, California, but again, the expansiveness of, of the university itself and the infrastructure required to do the type of international research that is done in this place. We have our own bus system, we have our own police department, we have our own utilities and all these things. Uh, that having our own fire department um, falls right in line with. We have a couple other really unique things, uh, a development on West Campus called West Village, which has a lot of uh, unique partnerships for housing. So when you go west of our main campus, you run into what starts to look like more of apartment-style complexes, 
uh, more mixed use commercial residential um, and future plans to actually build single family homes on university property on the western part of our campus. So um, a really, you know, diverse experience in terms of of what we face every day. And when I get a chance to look through the research currently being done on campus, it's some of the biggest problems facing not just the US, but the world today. You know, everything from the current COVID-19 pandemic to uh, food, air, and, and vector-borne illnesses and disease, to animal research over at our veterinary school. Um, it's, it's, you know, we, a lot of people love the fire service because they get to come to a job where things are different every day. Right, right. Every call we go on, we we could go into a world of research that is very new and and not well known, and we have to be ready for that, uh, for the things that they're doing in their biosafety labs and that kind of thing. And and it's it's very exciting, yeah, uh, as a chief to to work at a place that that um, is doing the things that UC Davis is doing to make a better world. Yeah. No, it sounds like it. And, you know, I mentioned I had the opportunity to work with the University of Maryland. Um, there we provided, we, the county, provided uh, fire protection onto campus, uh, and the, the campus did not have its own fire department. So I know it's uh, a different animal, somewhat of a different animal, when the department's scope is focused on the university. How has uh, UC Davis Fire integrated the campus academic mission with the operations of the fire department? Right. So um, I've, I've been here almost 13 years now. And one of the things that, that I noticed when I came was that our fire station was really uh, what I call a community fixture. It's a place you walk by, drive by, but rarely do you stop. Right. And I really wanted to create our our station, our department, as a community destination. Mm-hmm. And and also with, with the type of calls that we run and being on an academic campus with the value of academics, it seemed like we needed to be doing some things in that field to really provide maximum value back to, to our community. So there's a, a variety of different things. Obviously, the the student firefighter program, we've had students working for the fire department since it started um, in 1917, but our student resident firefighter program became formalized in the late 1940s. And over the years, to have students serving students is a common thread that you will hear me talk about and a lot of people in our agency talk about the value of that. And especially in today's climate and today's culture, being able to look up at someone who's taking care of you or responding to your needs and being able to have a connection to them in such a close way where they they are your community serving you is, is really neat and unique. But within the last few years, um, we've really... Um, expanded our offerings into the world of pre-hospital care and allied health. And um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm always looking for ways to bring atypical people into our industry. People who 
you may not think are the cookie cutter firefighter. And one of the ways that I wanted to do that was by showing people who maybe didn't have an interest in fire, but had an interest in health to give them a taste of what the fire service was like mm. to get some of those maybe misconceptions out of their heads to show them what an inclusive place the fire service can be. And we created, uh, we have a tremendous EMS division led by uh, our EMS captain, Scott Hatcher, cr started creating education programs. So we created an EMT certification program that we run uh, in-house. You get UC Davis academic credit for it. Um, and it attracts a lot of students who are going into the allied health field. They want to be a nurse. They want to be a nurse practitioner. They want to be a physician assistant. They want to be a doctor. And they want that clinical hands-on experience while they're still doing their undergrad. So they come into our EMT program. And the EMT program has become so incredibly popular. We have a, a wait list every quarter that ranges usually between 200 and 400 people wow. every single quarter to get into our EMT program. Part of that is due to the wonderful partnership we have with a level one trauma center that we just happen to have as part of our family, the UC Davis Medical Center, which is over at the Sacramento campus. Our folks get to go over and get hands on there. So one of the neat things that started to come was we were, we were meeting all these great people and saying, how can we bring them into the department? They're not ready. They don't maybe want to be student firefighters yet, but they've, they've warmed up to this idea of the fire service. So we created a student EMT program and they fill the niche of our event EMS standbys at football games and concerts and other activities throughout the year. And the more time that those folks have spent with, um, with our firefighters, the more we have seen go from being student EMTs to applying for the student firefighter program. Uh, we have a lot larger uh, recognition on campus because of the EMT program. We do almost no marketing. It's almost 100% word of mouth with a wait list like that. And, and so it's done a lot to elevate um, the stature of our organization on campus. We did a couple other things too. We, uh, we became an American Heart Association regional training site. So we now offer all of the CPR courses, the BLS uh, for healthcare providers, ACLS, PHTLS, PALS, that we now offer not just to the campus community, but beyond, um, which to me has been incredibly cool. We have a, a, a great campus AED program. We have over 100 defibrillators uh, mm -hmm. spread across our campus that are part of our campus AED program. Yeah, it it ties in it ties into the AHA piece, and uh, we uh, recently, actually within the last uh, year or so, started a huge Start the Bleed uh, program. You can you can't get a CPR card through us without taking Stop the Bleed training. We provide you with a Stop the Bleed personal kit, and we've now rolled out the larger Stop the Bleed kits in in areas where a lot of people hang out on campus. Sure. Um, we're we're working our sights on becoming the first nationally designated bleed safe campus in the U.S. And we're we're really excited about that. And then probably the newest thing that we're doing 
is next month we launch our paramedic program. And that's on the, the tail end of the success of our EMT certification program. We as a department are going to launch a paramedic program, a certification program. And again, there is a very cool connection between our agency and uh, the medical center, which has uh, the nursing school, the medical school, uh, the allied health schools in there. And we're excited about the idea of creating a paramedic program that, uh, thanks in some part to COVID-19, is a, a flipped classroom model mm. where uh, we wanted to create a, a paramedic program where you don't have to give up your life. Right. To so I mentioned earlier the importance to me and to our organization of creating opportunity to be in this industry where maybe it didn't exist before. There's a lot of people who couldn't apply for fire jobs because they couldn't give up their life to be a paramedic right. to go through that training. So what we do is we have uh, our program is going to be uh, all lecture and those sort of things done virtually and then very intensive labs and clinical experiences that let someone still carry a full-time course load at a four-year university or even have another job where all they need is one day a week off and then time off for their clinical rotations to be able to become a paramedic. And think about the barriers, right, that yeah. that starts to bring down to access. Those are just some of the ways that we connect to the academic mission. Next, um, next week, I get to be in on a a webinar for our law school about wildland fire policy and uh and so it there's 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 things that we do each and every week here on campus that connect us to this idea of being an institution of higher learning and and yeah. serving really seamlessly yeah in doing yeah. so good good stuff um you know, you, 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 we're going to talk about wildland here in a, in a couple minutes, but you mentioned um, COVID-19. I wanted to ask you, you, you've got a lot going on on campus, obviously, a, a, a lot of uh, activity there at the academic end and, and wrapping it into what you're doing is great. But let's talk about COVID for a second. Uh, can you talk about what the UC Davis Fire Department um, has done to handle the pandemic, you know, beyond the typical 911 stuff? Right. Uh, how has that impacted you and what is it that you're doing there? Because I'm sure there's some some uniqueness to operating in that university environment that most people aren't going to be used to. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because last year at this time, uh, a group of us from the department were in Boston at the National Collegiate EMS uh, Foundation's annual conference receiving some awards for EMS for our department. And... Uh, I remember on my plane ride home, uh, I'm from Nebraska, and that's where one of the, the CDC's big quarantine uh, facilities is that the first U.S. patient was going into that facility as I was flying back from Boston. Mm. We're just starting to talk about COVID-19. And mm. the two weeks that followed how the world and, and, and our work every day here on this campus changed sending kids home right within them within a month we were sending kids home releasing them from their housing contracts shutting down gatherings and events and those kind of things 
and it obviously changed how our department functioned when you tell basically everybody go home. Right. So as a 24 seven fire department, we continued to respond to the calls that we had on campus, but we did a couple of things. One is I'm really proud of the efforts that, that we were a part of initially in working with uh, other groups like uh, Vision 2020, uh, the IAFC, the Institution of Fire Engineers. We were putting some best practice uh, information out there very early in the pandemic around responder PPE and using the knowledge of, of the researchers that we had here on campus to really in the very early days help inform and create best practices to keep responders safe, even systems to you know reuse N95s back when we were really struggling with that as a shortage and and our department was really involved in that. But since then, um, we've had the opportunity to uh, do a couple special services. One is when we brought students back after the initial uh, starting of the pandemic in this area, the university created, uh, they had basically ad adapted a machine that was used in agriculture to do high throughput COVID testing. Hmm. And it's saliva-based testing. And when we brought students back, uh, it's asymptomatic testing. Hmm. So the test is very, very good at finding very, very early stage COVID. Not so great if you have symptoms, but that's what the other COVID tests are for. And we started requiring everyone who access campus buildings every single week to get a saliva-based test. Started with students, has now expanded to all staff and faculty, has now expanded to everyone who lives in the city of Davis. Every single week can come and get a saliva-based asymptomatic test. Hmm. Doing that created a new line of service for us, which is transport of asymptomatic people from their existing residents to a quarantine dorm that we have on campus. So uh, right around the holidays this year, uh, whenever a call would come through Student Health and Counseling Services that there was a student who was asymptomatic but COVID positive, we would use our alternate response unit staffed with one of our student EMTs, go to their residence, pick them up and their belongings for the quarantine period and take them to that quarantine dorm where all the services that they need were brought to the dorm. They had Wi-Fi, they had custodial services, they had food delivery service, all this. And, and some people never felt a lot of symptoms, but because of this great testing system that was implemented here, um, we're able to do that. So we've done that. We continue to do it. The number of, of cases um, where we're at today is down, but we know with this, there are lots of ups and downs and we're ready to help support sure. in that way as well. And then probably the, the most recent thing is California, uh, probably like many states, changed the EMT scope of practice when the vaccinations uh, started to become available yeah. and allowed optional scope for EMTs to administer the vaccine. So here, uh, the first week of February, uh, our campus stood up a campus vaccination clinic. And uh, it's a it's a two to one ratio for every 
two vaccines that we put into a UC Health patient. We get to put one vaccine into a UC Davis employee. And we started with our critical uh, workers, uh, healthcare workers, uh, fire, police, um, and now are starting to uh, work our way into folks um, who staff our testing center. So that saliva testing center, there's now multiple of them throughout the community where people can go and give their samples. We've, we now are vaccinating those folks. We're also helping the county with additional capacity uh, where they're sending us uh, some folks when, when they've reached their capacity, we fill that. All the vaccinators are UC Davis fire employees, UC Davis firefighters, uh, student EMTs, student firefighters, myself included, putting shots in people's arms. And I'll tell you, this has been a hard year. We all know that. The yeah. part of my job in the last 12 months has been putting vaccines into people's arms because for the first time in that window, I don't feel like we're responding to, I don't feel like we're playing catch up. I feel like we're actually moving the ball forward. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty neat stuff. Uh, the a lot of states, Florida just recently instituted uh, an emergency rule to allow EMTs and paramedics uh, into the vaccination world, and I know a lot of other states have uh, come on board with that. So, uh, so definitely good stuff there. Go ahead, Chief. No, it's just it's just critical capacity. And, and especially as more vaccines uh, come on the market and as uh, more availability occurs, yeah. um, we're going to get to a point where we're, the throughput, right, we're going to need all hands. And there's no reason that, that uh, firefighter EMTs, firefighter paramedics can't be on the front lines uh, helping to make this difference. Have you had any resistance from any of your staff uh, in in delivering the vaccines? Uh, no, I mean, vaccination is deeply personal to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people's people's thoughts and opinions on receiving the vaccination uh, are their own. and we we don't mandate our people to to be vaccinators. We don't say you're going to go over and vaccinate today. We work from the direction that we do with everything we ask our folks to do, which is as an organization, as UC Davis Fire, these are our values. This is who we are. If you if you want to come stand beside us as we do this, great. If not, great. You'll stand for another opportunity that comes along. Sure, sure. And it's, it's worked really well for us. And I have tremendous people that work here. Yeah. That that buy in, that get it, and I'm blessed in that respect. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it is voluntary, just like that that transport program I was telling you about. Yeah, we don't require any employee to be the person who transports a COVID positive from their home. That the people who sign up for those uh, transports are voluntary. They get paid, right? But their involvement is voluntary, and I just I think it's so cool. Yeah. Good stuff there, Chief. Uh, We need to take a few seconds to hear a word from our sponsor. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are heavy duty, yet lightweight and 100% made in USA. 
These are the world's first custom radio straps made from military-grade nylon that's used in ballistic vests. Unlike traditional leather, they're also extractor washable for pathogens like COVID-19 and carcinogen decon. These are making leather straps a thing of the past. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are available in multiple colors with adjustable regular and extra large sizes, even with reflective or glow-in-the-dark patterns and custom text. New customers can receive a discount on their first order of tactical radio straps or accessories at homeland6.com. That's homelandsix.com. Chief, before uh, the uh, sponsor break there, you mentioned some popular programs at the university. Um, you know, as we collectively build the next generation of emergency responders, uh, the role that Explorer Post cadet programs and the resident firefighter programs, sleep-in programs, uh, what role do those programs play in grooming better firefighters? Um, for me, first and foremost, it, it sets the ground for inclusivity and for this idea of if I can see, I can be, right? Yeah. So I started out my career in the fire service as a fire explorer uh, back in Nebraska. I... I've always wanted to be a firefighter, but I remember seeing the Explorer Post there staffing a home and garden show. And I went up to him and, and as a 11 year old kid said, how can I be you? And they said, we have to be 14. And I was like, ah, darn. Yeah. Um, but I saw people who I thought, okay, this could be it. This could be my first step in. And then I spent my high school years as a fire explorer, which opened doors for me to be the first intern in the training division hmm. at Lincoln Fire Rescue, uh, which opened the door to me going to college at Oklahoma State in their fire program, which opened the door to so many career opportunities for me that if not for that Explorer program, you know, it, it's hard to say yeah. where it would have gone. But, but these programs play a really important role in in particular, underrepresented groups uh, in our communities, seeing that there is opportunity for them in the fire service, seeing it as something that is attainable is part of the reasons why we got rid of our requirements here at UC Davis Fire, that you have to be an EMT and a firefighter certified just to take our test, right? We mm -hmm. want to take good people who have a great moral compass, who have a self-starter attitude, who, who can clearly articulate their why and turn them into great firefighters. And right. that's, what, that's what our student firefighter program does. That's what our student EMT program does. So the Fire Explorer program did for me is, is through involvement in that, you find people that you have a common thread with. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I talk about representing the communities that we serve, I focus on inclusivity because no matter what your race or gender or identity is, everyone can understand the desire to feel included. Right. And, and these programs create opportunities to, to find that person, to find that person who shares a common thread with you that can help guide you through 
how, how do I prepare to be a firefighter? How do I interview? What type of a department do I want to go work for? Without those programs, people are left on their own oftentimes. Or, you know, for the big metro departments, they might have recruiters that go out and, and seek people to come and join. But a lot of us don't have those kind of budgets. Sure. So we have programs that augment our services. And at the same time, um, you know, open doors that maybe wouldn't be open before and make connections that wouldn't be open. And can everyone be a firefighter? No, we know there's limitations, right? Yeah. We know there's some physical limitations and other things. But we need to do a better job reaching more people who are different than the regular mold to let them know that this is an opportunity for them and let them explore that for themselves and yeah. create a safe environment while doing it. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times the fire service culture has been uh, a very close knit uh, group of folks, which isn't all bad by any means. Uh, but certainly the opportunity, certainly the opportunity to uh, introduce other cultures and other communities that would not normally have had that opportunity. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up, and um, it, it ties right into high school cadet programs that I was uh, blessed to be part of uh, in Prince George's County, and and bringing those programs to uh, those communities where they had never heard of the fire department other than something they saw on TV. Right. Uh, so, so bringing it to them in the classroom um, is a is a great opportunity and, and fits right into, uh, you know, grooming your homegrown talent. Um, That's exactly right. And that, you know, that that touches back to another thing that that we've put in place, which is our our marketing efforts to recruit. You know, we used to broadcast far and wide. You know, all comers. Sure. And we focus so much time and effort now on on local. Yeah. And, and the reason that we do that again is is to create opportunity within the sphere that we work within. Um, it, it people are invested in the community. Um, I always tell people, and, and and I may get in trouble for this. I don't need another person who wants to be a firefighter. I need another person who wants to be a firefighter at UC Davis Fire. Mm -hmm. So the investment that I make in them, in training, in equipment, in career growth, I want people who are going to come and stay with us for their entire career. I don't want you to go somewhere else. But well, I let's don't face let's let's face it, Chief. You're you're looking for your replacement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, and that's exactly what we should be doing. And, and uh, that's dead on. Yeah. So, um, you know, talking about that, can you can you talk to us about how all of that connects together to um, establishing and managing? You know, we kind of talked around it, but establishing and managing that professional brand of a fire and emergency service leader. You know, we are looking for our replacements. We should be. So they're out there. How does all that tie together? We, we are. And, and um, it, it, it ties together because the the fire service fire and emergency services that we are in today is different obviously than it was 10 20 30 40 years ago sure 
there is a major cultural and so and social shift occurring in our country and it is the next generation that is going to i believe be faced with some of the most significant challenges that our industry has faced to date um and and what we are doing today to inspire them and to set them on the right path is is so critical and so modeling behaviors like innovation uh inclusivity um the importance of health and wellness for people in our industry taking care of our people honoring good tradition while rethinking areas where we could improve these are these are the things that we need to be instilling today and it's funny because for a long time i wore a chip on my shoulder because people would look at me and say you're you're too young to be a chief you're too you're too young to have the experience to know to do this job as a chief officer and this is 10 years ago right and since then the baby boomers have started to leave a lot of them have left and i remember as a kid growing up in lincoln nebraska people who lived their entire career as a tailboard firefighter people who promoted to captain and never promoted to bc not because they didn't want to but because in the course of their career there wasn't a vacancy sure not an opportunity our industry is different today captains in their 20s is a is a norm yeah chief officers in their mid to late 30s is becoming a norm not necessarily always because people want to either but because they have to and so to anybody listening my call to you is you may not see yourself in that role today but you better start thinking about yourself in it and the other thing that i encourage other people to do is that there are some really talented people out there when it comes to managing and leading and and i've always thought of myself as the person whose job it is to take care of the firefighters and make sure that they get what they need to do the job and i don't like to brag but i think i do a really good job at it mm -hmm. that's not always the person who has ridden backwards for 30 sure. years sure so you know i encourage everybody to think about and recognize talent and we talk about a lot of times now in our industry right resource right call have you heard that yes yeah <laughs> yeah indeed so let's apply it to people yeah right resource right call yeah and and giving them the framework through training and mentorship and education that they need to be successful Yep, uh, absolutely, and and I appreciate your perspective on that. Um, let's shift gears for a minute. Um, you operate in a very dynamic response area um, outside of the university. Um, let, let's talk a little about rethinking life in the the wildland urban interface and how departments um, can expand existing uh, WUI strategies to address uh, the dynamic realities of climate change and the fact that 
more and more areas are becoming urban interface zones. Yeah, so um, again, as a native Midwesterner, uh, I, I came to California in 2006. Um, and when I came to California, I moved to Butte County and a lot of people are gonna hear Butte County and associate that immediately with the campfire in paradise. Um, Butte County, um, beautiful area, foothills of the Sierras, uh, but just like all of California, maybe parts of Northern California in particular, a very fire prone area. Sure. Uh, a strong and long history of significant fire. And so it was a real learning curve for me coming to a place um, that, that had this type of a fire problem. And I can tell you, uh, I, I, I spent a few years on a CAL FIRE Type 1 incident management team as a safety officer and a PIO. Uh, we're very active. Our department is in the California Mutual Aid System. We go up and down the state of California every year on these major campaign fires. Plus, we have the incidents in our immediate operating area. And, and I can say, from my experience over the last decade, we had big fires before. Right. But the frequency with which they're occurring and the, the depth at which they are entering urban areas is unprecedented. Yeah, I'd say the volatility is exponentially different or, or um, higher every year we go along. You, you really see a change every year. We, the, the kind of the, the running, you know, line in California when I came, first came here was, oh, worst fire season ever. Yeah. Um, you don't hear people use that term anymore because this idea of fire season is gone. Right. So as an agency, like, what do you do about this? The thing that, that I find to be the biggest hurdle around the WUI and, and life in the interface is people who have made the decision. So choosing to live in the interface, just like we talked about a very personal decision with COVID vaccinations, choosing to live in the interface is a personal choice. One of the things that, that agencies have to do is make sure they are continually doing outreach efforts to inform people of the risk of making that choice. And it's important too for people who are leaving urban areas and going to more rural areas to understand the difference in service, to understand the difference in topography, and to understand how wildfire is going to affect them in their new setting. It could even be said to people moving uh, from places like Nebraska, where I grew up, where you could have a healthy grass fire, but that's not what we're dealing with out here. People need to understand what they're moving into. And then we've talked for a long time through fire safe councils and a number of other different venues about the importance of things like defensible space, hardening of your home, making sure that there's egress and access uh, for people, uh, for firefighters to come in and make a stand. And people still don't do it. And so what, what 
I encourage agencies to do is to continually educate, do outreach, to share research and information on the latest about how to keep your home safe. To be honest with you, people who live in that in the interface have to understand that life is different. Sure. You look out your door today and you're surrounded by big, beautiful green trees. But there's a lot of different things happening in the world around you. There's pest infestations that are killing trees throughout the state of California. And those dead trees dry out and create a large fuel load. There are, uh, your house may be well prepared and defended, but if all your neighbors on all sides haven't done defensible space and aren't managing their vegetation, there's tremendous risk there. So where do we hit that this equal, equilibrium? And believe me, if I if I knew the answer to this, I, I I'd have a different job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Where do we hit this equilibrium between living in the wildland urban interface and and mitigating the disaster? Yeah, it's never going to happen to me, right? You know, it's never going to happen to me, or Here's the one that that really is is kind of awe-inspiring to me is this area just burned a few years ago. It's not going to burn again. Right. Oh no. <laughs> you know, that's not true. Right. The the fact that there is a, a a burn scar doesn't mean the area immediately adjacent to that isn't at the same level of risk. And so. You know, and how do we prioritize? So fortunately in California, after the last few years, there is more and more money coming from lawmakers to invest in the prevention and the mitigation aspects of it. But I'm telling you, it's it's still not enough. Yeah. And it's not just a California problem. It's an Oregon problem. It's a Washington problem. It's an Idaho, Montana, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Florida. Sure. Right. Trust me, I deal with it every day. Yeah. The the this this wildfire problem um, is not getting easier. So I I ask ourselves. I mean, I, I should encourage people to think about when you choose to live, when you choose to build in the wildland urban interface. To me, you're assuming a responsibility as a citizen to be informed, to upgrade what needs to be upgraded on your home, to build your home to the latest standards, and to go above and beyond the recommendations. And I say that so that you have a chance of saving it. Because even with all those things in place, we know sometimes it's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we talked a lot lot there about the communities around, um, you know, the interface area. But how about for the university? Uh, You know, you got a transient population. You got a lot of people come and go. Does the WUI uh, really affect you at the university? And how do you deal with that at at your level? I mean, so, so we are, again, known for agriculture. Uh, amongst many other things here at UC Davis. And so we have a lot of land 
that I would call moderate wooly risk. So it's not your your tall trees and but it is your dense your dense fuels uh, along the Puda Creek. It is a variety of agricultural agricultural and research lands and grasslands that surround the campus uh, on on two sides. And with the transient population, one of the things that is true, not just of our WUI efforts, but of all of our efforts, is how we engage uh, our freshman class every year. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of social media. We do a lot of tabling. We do a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of fire departments give out the, the free little plastic helmets to kids. Sure. Our version of that is free T-shirts. Hmm. And on the back, it'll have our website or our Instagram handle or uh, ways that, uh, you know, some a student, not that students are ever bored in class, but if they were and they look up, they say, you see this fire, follow us on Instagram. They're like, you know what? I'm going to sit here and check them out. Yeah. Conversation starter. Sure. We, we rely on social media a lot to get the message out about about Louie, about. Uh, our education programs, about our services as a department, about who we are as people. And it is an annual ongoing effort for the very reason you described. There are so many people in and out of this campus on a daily basis that we have to work double hard to make sure, A, they know we exist, B, what we do, and C, how to be safe when they're here with us. There's a really fun video on our website, uh, which is fire.ucdavis.edu. And uh, the school's mascot is a horse named Gunrock. And the video is a really fun, uh, almost like 40s or 50s style info, uh, inf infometry sure. on how to be safe at school. And it stars Gunrock and his parents, who are two other horses, dropping him off at school and walking students through how to be safe in their dorm. Uh, program services and that kind of thing. And that's the same sort of thing that we implement in everything we do. The the WUI aspect of it, though, is one that is fairly new on our radar because of an incident that we had on the exact same day that the campfire started. We had a wind-driven fire on campus that threatened one of our research facilities that really has changed our approach and we are we currently have a task force that we've built that is working on categorizing wooly risk across campus um, and then mitigation measures for that enforcement measures and and looking at solutions everything from you know how what timelines are we tilling fields in to should we be spending as much time managing the non-core campus as we do the core campus. So do we want trees to look as good in the periphery as they do on the core? Yes, we do. We want them up and off the ground, right? Sure. So the fire doesn't have a chance to go from ground up into the tree. Do we want to uh, use things like goats and sheep to graze grassy areas uh, on the outskirts of campus so that there's a perpetual fire break? Um, these, these are the things that we're doing all in combination with the fact that we use hundreds of research animals every day that have, 
you know, very specific things they can and can't be exposed to. We have um, uh, all sorts of different research projects going on, uh, native species that have to be protected. We go out, there's a uh, riparian reserve here on campus. We go out and we burn off a number of acres every year at the riparian reserve so the burrowing owls can have their uh, habitats uh, rehabilitated. And mm -hmm. at the same time, we bring in all of our automatic aid partners and take care of our annual wildland fire refresher. Everybody gets to put fire on the ground. Everybody gets to deploy shelters. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of different ways that we're tackling wooey issues here. And, and just like everybody else, we're still learning. And there's a lot more to learn as climate change shows us how fire is going to impact our lives differently moving forward. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely something to keep your eyes on and, um, you know, can never um, learn enough and uh, always have something new to look at. So um, I want to recap some of what we've talked about with Chief T here uh, from the uh, University of California Davis Fire Department. They have a uh, not unique, but a pretty phenomenal student live-in uh, program for members that uh, serve in the fire department and go to school and uh, live in, on campus. Uh, several campuses I'm aware of have that, so they have a great program with that. Interesting that they're the last uh, University of California campus with its own fire department, and that's sure, uh, surely the scope and size of the department. Uh, we went on to to talk about some of the uh, in-house uh, EMT programs and the American Heart Association regional training going on uh, at, at their site there. They're just launching a new paramedic program. Uh, and then one of the most interesting things we talked about with the uh, fire department and wanting to get into the community and make the community uh, more aware of what was going on with the fire department was looking at the fire station as a destination for the community. Uh, you know, in a lot of uh, older uh, communities and a lot of the older times, if you will, the, the fire department was a community destination. And it's good to see that uh, they're looking at that. Uh, talk more about the student resident firefighter programs and the opportunities that that brings for students to serve students. A great line uh, to talk, uh, uh, you know, to like you said, to not only to talk to other students about, but when one of those students is treating one of their own, that familiarity and, and that uh, uh, bonding that occurs with that is pretty phenomenal. Uh, they have a pre-hospital care and allied health uh, agency collaboration, bringing others in that aren't normally part of the fire department. So great stuff, bringing other people in, getting them involved and getting them on that hook, if you will, to be uh, new members of the department, people who may not have thought about it before. Uh, the the university uh, pretty unique in that they, uh, with the COVID situation, adapted an agriculture machine to conduct COVID-19 saliva-based asymptomatic testing. So a pretty unique thing they did there. And uh, then, like a lot of other places, uh, they did start uh, EMTs and firefighters uh, using them as vaccine clinicians. Uh, so good to see that they're getting out there. And again, not a mandatory program for them, but uh, uh, good, to, good to see that they are attempting to include the department in the health and wellness for the community, a, a really important step. Then we went on and talked about the Explorer programs, and, and uh, we talked a little bit about high school cadet programs and the different pieces and how those can make a difference. And I liked how uh, Chief T 
talked about the uh, his experience starting an Explorer program. And the line that I, I took down from him on that was, um, if I can see, I can be. And those explorers that, uh, uh, you know, are those folks that want to be in that program. It's just simply that uh, inspiring someone or mentoring someone to be something more than they are. So great opportunity for those uh, programs. Uh, then talking about the brand of a fire service and uh, how they are striving at uh, uh, the, the uh, fire department there at Davis, University of California, Davis Fire Department. They're striving to uh, be a model for the community, um, to be innovative, inclusive, uh, to model health and wellness for not only the department, but for the community, and then honoring the traditions of the fire service, something we all strive to do. We don't always do the best at, but I'm glad to hear that they are attempting uh, to do that. We shifted gears and talked about the uh, wildland urban interface uh, issues that are, that are prevalent in California and all over the country, but really in California, we hear a lot about what's going on with that and talked about the tremendous education effort for people that are moving into the area. Uh, talked a little bit about defensible spaces and fire safe concepts, whether it's off campus or on campus, and then transitioned into how that transient population on campus uh, creates a, a really um, uh, significant ongoing effort for education in that WUI interface discussion. We have been talking with uh, Chief Nathan Trarenick from the University of California Davis Fire Department. Chief, thanks for joining us here on the Side Alpha Podcast, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Join us next time on Side Alpha Podcast. This is Mark Bashore, Executive Editor for FireRescue1.com. Join us on FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com for the latest news and information affecting the fire service worldwide. Stay smart, keep safe, and take care.